You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Usually at the top of the show, I, I speak for a few minutes by myself. I, I rant and rave about something that has royally pissed me off. Uh, And something happened a few weeks ago that really, really royally pissed me off. And I blew up about it on Twitter and I blew up about it on my blog. But I didn't talk about it on the podcast because I didn't want to rant about it solo. Uh, A first for the podcast, I wanted to have a little co-rant at the top of the show and bring in uh, somebody to rant with me on this particular topic. Joining me by phone, E.J. Graff, columnist for The American Prospect, where she writes about gender and sexuality issues and author of What is Marriage For? The Strange Social History of Our Most Intimate Institution, which is an excellent book and I recommend it and I've given it as gifts. Um, Hey, E.J., thanks for jumping on the phone with me. Hey, Dan, I'm honored. Uh, so you wrote about this case, and, and I've ranted and raved about this case. Uh, and all Americans, I think, need to be familiar with this difficult to pronounce name, Savita Halapanavar, who was an Indian, um, uh, not American. She was an Indian woman who was traveling, who was in Ireland. Uh, I believe seven months pregnant. Is that correct? When she. Uh- Seven, 17 weeks pregnant. 17 I, I weeks that's pregnant. less than seven months. And uh, I had that, the visiting business wrong. She, was, she and her husband were living there. He was working for Boston Scientific in Galway. And uh, they had actually moved there from India because they heard Ireland was a good place to raise a family. Not so much as it turns out. Uh, 17 weeks pregnant, Savita began to miscarry and went to the hospital where what happened? They couldn't stop the miscarriage. Uh, she was in severe pain um, from the bleeding and other um, whatever else was happening. And she, after a day of miscarriage, severe pain, she started begging to have them uh, induce the delivery since they had already told her there was no way they could save the fetus. The fetus was going to die. And they refused to induce because that would be an abortion because the fetus still had a heartbeat. So she continued in severe pain over three days to be miscarrying. And every time she begged, her husband said she was in agony. They kept saying, "We we cannot end this pregnancy because the fetus still has a heartbeat. A fetus that they knew to be doomed. The fetus that could not survive under any circumstances. They said, this is a Catholic country. And she said, I am neither Irish nor Catholic. They wouldn't change their minds. It wasn't a Catholic hospital, by the way. It was the, the, um, the standard hospital. Um, and when she, the fetal heartbeat finally stopped and they removed the fetus, they took her to, their, uh, to the ICU and she died. Of what? Septicemia and complications from the three days of bleeding and miscarriage. So because they refused to induce uh, – She died. She died. So the, the, the doomed fetus that was never going to uh, survive outside the womb died. And then the mother, this poor woman, after three days of agony and begging for, to be induced, she also dies. Yes. 
And um, Ireland has uh, a very restrictive abortion law, kind of like the very restrictive abortion laws that right-wing politicians in America would like to bring to our shores, but has an exception for the life of the mother. In theory, it is not really clear. There was a um, several years ago, and I don't have the exact year, uh, they had a ruling from the um, human rights courts in um, the EU. There was a, a young girl... Uh, very young, I think she was 14, who wanted to go to England to have an abortion and was threatening to kill herself if she had to carry the child, the the, the, the fetus, to term. Um, Ireland wouldn't let her travel because they knew the purpose, and it ended up going to the uh, European Human Rights Court, and they said they have to have uh, an exception for saving the life of the mother that would encompass that. But apparently there have never been guidelines issued and so there's now an Irish inquiry, a government um, investigation into this, and one hopes they will issue these guidelines. But, the, of course, the deeper problem is that um, even is how do the doctors know when they are following the guidelines? It's that they were understandably concerned that they could be arrested for um, murder or abortion or whatever the charge would be if they saved the life of Savita and then people said, someone later, some aggressive prosecutor said, she looks fine to us. It probably wasn't necessary. So it was a moment where there was a conflict between the life of the mother, the life of the, the, the fetus was definitely still had a heartbeat. It wouldn't survive outside the womb, still alive. They looked at her and said, well, you haven't suffered enough and you're clearly not dead yet. So we're going to err on the side of extending the fetal life of this baby that if, even yeah. if born alive is, will die instantly and erring. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't going to make it out. It wasn't going to make it. Yes. They, the, when, when faced with the choice between um, – a fetus that had no future. It wasn't even a choice between one life and another life. It was a choice between a non-life and an actual life. Um, they they decided that they... They murdered yeah. an adult woman because they wouldn't allow her to make her own choices around her own medical care? They refused to save the life of a woman who died because she could not have uh, her pregnancy terminated. And if her. they had terminated her pregnancy when she asked... She would be alive today. Uh, no one can say that. She certainly could have gotten an infection anyway, but that that would have been the standard of medical care. Um, so I mean, you can you can't prove the negative, but she certainly would have had a better shot. Okay, let, let's rant and rave about this. What is the takeaway here for American women and American men? The, the husband is also now widow, traumatized by this experience. What's the takeaway here in this country where right now women have uh, – you know, except in states where they've made abortion effectively illegal, women in most places have the right to terminate their own pregnancies, uh, to, to make their own choice. But what's the takeaway as people listen to the debate uh, you know, coming from legitimate rape party, the party of uh, rape as a method of conception, the party of – uh, more anti-choice bills in the last two years than we've ever seen in history before. What's the takeaway for American men and women from this well, let's, case? Let's take a look around the world just for a second first. Um, it, it is very hard to talk about. I, it still makes me want to cry um, just when I think about the facts of it. Um, 
that Savita's death was definitely medieval. It it came from this ideology that the idea of human life is sacred, and the ideology was so strong that erased the reality of an actual human life. The the the, the problem I have with the quote unquote pro life movement, and I, I do respect many people who believe that life is a sacred thing. I, I respect that position, but. When you have that idea so strongly, it, it can erase the facts of human life in which everything is messy and complicated and risky and unpredictable. And it, it, is, it, it, it doesn't take into account... People like to say the world isn't black and white. In between, there's gray. There's not gray. There's a lot of color in between. And in this case, the color was blood. The color was red. And this woman bled to death for the idea that uh, human life is always sacred and we human beings should not interfere with um, some idea of what the divine intends. So uh, just to look around no, Not just world, that, not just that, but the idea that if there's a conflict between non-viable fetal life and an adult human female, yep. that you err on the side of favoring non-viable fetal life over that adult human female. That you do not and uh, what is a non-viable life, correct. So, so here's, here's another story. The, over the summer, there was a Dominican um, teenage girl, a 16-year-old, who had leukemia, and they have a, a human life amendment. Life begins at conception um, under their constitution. And so she was refused chemotherapy. Then she started to bleed, and they refused to uh, terminate that pregnancy, too. She miscarried, and she also bled to death. That is what uh, the Human Life Amendment says. It says that that pure, innocent potential for life, not even actual extant life, but potential for life, um, is more important than the actual breathing, walking around, complicated person. And it, it's... It, it, I have trouble talking about it. I do too. I do too. Like, there's a moment where we should just have like three minutes of silence where we can all just think about this and let it sink in. You, you, you literally get to a place where there are no words. That, yes, even though you and I, it's our job to have words for the unwordable. Um, so Joe Walsh this summer said that these circumstances don't exist, that medical science can always preserve both the mother and the fetus. Who was defeated by Tammy Duckworth? Right. Joe Walsh, who was a U.S. congressman and a teabagger. I thought for a second you said Joan Walsh, who was the editor oh, of the salon. Joe, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joe Walsh, Walsh. teabagger, ranting, anti-choice congressman who said that this doesn't exist anymore, that there are never moments right. where you have to make no. a choice between the life of the fetus and the life of the mother because medical science has reached this point where right. – It can do anything. It can do anything. And that both lives can always be saved. Body. And people Sorry. need to pay attention. You know, when Todd Aiken went out there and said uh, the, the female body has ways of shutting that thing down when a woman <laughs> is raped, what they're saying is if a woman has been raped, she can't be pregnant. So if she's pregnant, she wasn't raped. Therefore, you don't need a rape exception. Right. Which and, don't float, you know, Dan. Right. So if the woman drowns, she wasn't a witch. <laughs> Exactly. So these, these accept, you know, when people think they're being moderate on choice and the right has worked very hard to move the center on choice, if they say I'm, I'm against abortion except to save the woman's life or in cases of rape, that in practice results in women dying. Correct. 
Correct. And pro-life people are going to say that that's never what they meant to happen, right? The pro-life people that I know say they are actually in favor of um, uh, abortion to save the life of the mother. But but without safe abortions, real women really die. And sometimes they die, like those two cases, the Dominican teenager and um, Savita um, in Ireland. But those those are the those are the the rarest ones. They are easiest to grieve over. Other people die because they're going to do the riskiest possible thing in order not to give birth. I had um, a friend who ran an abortion clinic for many years, and she she did it really um, to save lives. She did save lives because she knew that if these women did not have safe abortions, they would either try to do it themselves or they would kill themselves. She said they, she ended up with a lot of women who came to her door saying, if I can't, if, if I can't get that, this done here, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill myself. And she says they were serious. And yet she had a father come in. She had a 14-year-old who needed an abortion. I don't know what happens to these 14-year-olds. Um, yes, I do. You know what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been abused or they have been raped. And so this one was pregnant, and they were in the middle of giving her an abortion, and her father came in and tried to get past the security guards who were, it was hard, they were holding on to him. And they were telling him that the stage of the procedure, I don't know the medicine well enough, but this is what my friend told me, the stage of the procedure was such that if if he got in there and like ripped the instrumentation out at that moment, which is what he was trying to do, the child would die. And he said, I would rather see her dead than have an abortion. And that's, what kind of religion is that? Well, that's the pro-life movement in a nutshell. They would rather see you dead than have an abortion. Not all of them. Honestly, not but, all But no, of when them. it comes to practice, when the, the, the rubber meets the road, when it's not some abstract debate about life, when, when, when it comes down to reality, women die in places where abortion isn't safe and legal and a woman doesn't have a right to make her own choice. If Savita had had the right to make her own choice and she attempted to make her own choice and her choice was respected and the medical care that she requested was provided to her, she would very likely still be alive today. Her husband's interviews are just heartbreaking. He says if we had been in the UK or in India, she would be alive and she could have more babies. That was their goal. Uh. Uh, it just, it makes, it, I mean, the, the wonderful thing is that there are protests going on in Ireland, and perhaps this case will be able to be used to, to really force them to reevaluate their, their policies. Hopefully, that, hopefully so. Hopefully it'll force the Irish to reevaluate their, pro, their policies, and hopefully it'll wake Americans up and convince Americans not to take safe, legal abortion for granted and to fight to maintain that right and not allow right-wing assholes to move the needle to where you think you're being moderate and reasonable by giving them an abortion ban with an exception for life of the mother, rape, or incest, because that, in practice, will kill women. It will kill women. It will. And, you know, I do do want to say that I know that there are people, I am very close to some of them in my own family, who think that um, when you're pro-choice, that you what you believe is you want to protect slutty women who, not that there's anything wrong with that, trust me, who are, who pay no attention to their own fertility 
and uh, just get pregnant by accident over and over and then run down to the clinic and get it scraped out and ignore what's going on. But the, the actual research suggests that, in fact, there's people think very, very hard about it, they, that almost all women really respect that there is sort of a continuum of things happening inside their bodies, right? That at a certain point, that it, it's a potential, and at another point, it's practically a person, right? Pretty far along. Mm-hmm. And that there is a real moral choice to be made somewhere along the line about are you going to let this continue and take responsibility for that life and what that could result if you continue to be the host of it, or are you going to um, say, uh, no, the best and safest and uh, most thoughtful action for me to take at this particular point in my life is to stop that little almond from becoming almond-sized group of cells from becoming a fist-sized group of cells. And so on and so forth. Almost all abortions happen in that very early stage, and they happen for very practical and very um, moral reasons, highly moral reasons. People, women decide they need to take responsibility for their lives, that they can't stay with the abusive partner, that they need to get an education before they can be parents, that they cannot put their mental health at risk for whatever reason, and those, they are they are making serious moral choices, and the fact that women can't be respected when they make those choices is is very very distressing to me. But here's the good news, and that's that all the anti-contraception, anti-pro-rape talk that we heard over this past year has resulted in a spike of people considering themselves pro-choice. People have come around. More people have come around to the to understanding that you can believe that abortion needn't be the automatic choice, right? Of, but it has to be one of the possible choices. And the person who should be empowered to make that choice is the individual woman who is facing that pregnancy. E.J. Graff, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, follow her at Twitter at E.J. Graff, uh, columnist of the American Prospect. I'm a big fan of your writing and your work. I'm always retweeting your columns when they come out. Thank you for joining us today, E.J. Thank you, Dan. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Lots of Christmas presents wear out or go out of fashion, but a hot piece of fetish gear or a powerful vibrator from ExtremeRestraints.com could change your sex life forever. With a vast selection of toys, BDSM gear, strap-ons, and so much more, Extreme Restraints has something for everyone. Shop for your partner at Extreme Restraints and take 10% off when you enter GGG Giving at checkout. Double that discount for 20% off if you use it by Sunday. Hi, I'm calling from Rhode Island. I have something that I've been thinking about lately. Um, When I was younger, when I was about five, my sister, my cousins, and my aunt, who was only about two years older than us, maybe a little more, um, were all engaged in what I could call um, child exploration. We were all about five, six around there. My aunt was maybe eight. And um, 
I told my mom about what happened uh, when I was like seven, so it was a couple years after it happened. And um, she thought I was talking about a grown aunt because I said my aunt made me do this. And it was like a whole big thing. And I barely remember it because I guess I kind of blocked it out of my mind. But I've talked to my sister about it and she remembers it happening too, so obviously it did happen. Um, But to say like me and my sister didn't touch each other. So what I'm wondering is the aunt that got accused, she's she's passed away. She had HIV and um, uh, weight problems, heart problems, all lot, a lot of stuff. And <clears throat> we haven't talked about it since I was about seven. And I want to know, it's like I don't remember ever clearing it up with them, which uh, I was talking about. And I want to know if I should bring it up again because I don't want them thinking like that of their sister and sister-in-law, my parents to think of of their sister. But at the same time, I don't know if I should bring it up. And I also want to know if it's abuse or if it was just children, you know, being children, because girls mature faster than boys, all that. And I was pretty precocious. I probably hit puberty at like 10, 11. So if you have any advice for me on that or to tell me whether or not it was abuse, which I don't think it was, or if I'm being in denial or answer my question, that would be wonderful. When you people say, oh, I blocked it out, usually they mean, oh, it was something so traumatic that my brain, I could only recover and carry on with life if my brain suppressed the memory. You didn't block it out because it was so hugely traumatic. You blocked it out most likely because it was not a big fucking deal. We have reached this point where any expression of curiosity, sexual curiosity on the part of children or sexual expression on the part of children, exploration, any expression of sexual curiosity which is natural and normal, immediately, you know, people freak the fuck out and the Nuremberg trials must be convened to find the perpetrators because no innocent child would ever sort of naturally uh, express any sexual curiosity and no gathering of small children would wind up, would everyone wind up playing doctor. I don't How did we get here? How did every adult on earth who went through this stage of life sort of collectively wipe that away and forget? Yes, you should speak up in in defense of your deceased aunt's memory uh, and and let people know that it wasn't her and it's not what they were thinking and it was innocent. It was just children. Everyone was very close in age. Uh, It doesn't sound like any coercion was involved. We've talked about this on the show before. The standard for judging – you know when children are you know being sexually abused by other children is a significant age gap and coercion and threats and when those things are introduced then it can tip into or it is into a sexually abusive and exploitative case where perhaps lasting traumatic damage can be done to the children involved although a lot of studies have shown that children are resilient most bounce back uh, and are not harmed um all their lives that children can process and recover from, which does not excuse in any way sexually violating a child. But you weren't sexually violated. You were kids playing doctor with a slightly older relative uh, who was also a small child at the time. Clear your aunt's name and tell your parents to not fucking convene the Nuremberg trials about this because there was no crime here. No victims, no perps, just kids. Hi, Dan. 
I have a bit of a moral quandary I was hoping you could help me resolve. Over the weekend, I talked. I was talking to a guy on Grindr, and he told me he had a boyfriend, and then proceeded to invite me to a party after making me promise that I understood nothing was going to happen. Once we were at the party, he initiated, and we ended up hooking up. My question is, is it the cheeky's responsibility to stop the cheater from doing anything, or is it is the fact that they're going to cheat just sort of decided and it doesn't really matter? Uh, thanks. Hmm. You don't have a moral obligation to the boyfriend that you don't even know, uh, it sounds like, in this case, haven't met. Uh, so the, the question is, are you, do you have a moral obligation to the abstract, you know, idea that it is wrong to cheat? And so assisting someone in an infidelity is a wrong and it is a wrong. And so, yeah, the, you shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have fucked the guy who has a boyfriend who doesn't know that he's being fucked around on. You are complicit in the cheating. You're an accomplice to cheating. Uh, to be an accomplice and to be complicit isn't as sort of morally hazardous as to be the perpetrator of the crime. You just gave a little assist with your dick to the crime, to the violation. But you just can't get off scot-free. You can't wash your hands of it and say, well, it wasn't my boyfriend. I wasn't cheating. I was just being cheated in or upon or around or near. I didn't cheat. Cheat sat on my face is not a defense that's going to stand up uh, in the court of public opinion, right? That said, <laughs> I sometimes want to qualify even that. Uh, you know, it's all too easy. It's too easy and people just go, oh, cheating, always wrong. Cheater is always bad and you're a cheater. You cheated with that guy. You guys cheated together on his boyfriend. You're a cheater too. Um, and I just think that we need to sometimes separate the cheating out. There's Cheating at the end of a relationship where it's sort of falling apart and the relationships, you know, the wheels are coming off and both parties are kind of on their way out the door and getting their sexual needs met elsewhere. And, you know, it's cheating still technically, but kind of not because they're on their way out uh, and it's over. And the cheating sometimes in those cases is the final hand slamming down on the self destruct button. Uh, and in those instances, I think, you know, cheating's still wrong, but not that wrong. Uh, much more excusable. If he has a strictly monogamous commitment with this guy, if there are kids involved, um, if the cheating really will sort of threaten the emotional security or inner life of the partner who's being cheated on, if you're really potentially upending someone else's world, then it's much worse cheating. Relationship coming apart, eh, whatever. You know, they're not right for each other. They're on their way out. It's going to end sooner or later, probably soon, much sooner than later. You were a, an accomplice to a class C misdemeanor. They're married. They have kids. Uh, the cheating potentially is going to destroy that marriage, two lives, the lives of children, negatively impact other people who are, you know, within the vicinity of that relationship, other people who invested in that relationship emotionally then it's a, uh, a felony. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE. 
and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. This is Stephanie from Delaware. And um, I have a question for you. Kind of an ex-girlfriend problem. Not my ex-girlfriend, my current girlfriend's ex-girlfriend. Um, they dated for a number of years and like any the lesbian couple, they have all the same friends and they broke up uh, a while ago, six months ago, maybe. Um, and now I'm dating this person. So, of course, everywhere that we go, um, everyone knows her and she's there a lot. I think everybody doesn't know what to do in this situation because, you know, it's just kind of uncomfortable. When do you have any tips other than just time that can make things less awkward for everyone. You know, in any city, the lesbian community is kind of small, so it's not like you can just hang out with a completely different set of people because there's really only so many events or so many places to go. Yes, time. Give it time. Also, you might want to proactively approach the ex and just say, this is awkward. I'm, I'm constantly hammering away at that. The quickest way to dispel awkwardness or make it more bearable and therefore less awkward is just to say this is awkward out loud when it's awkward. Way, hey, this is awkward. And then just say what you said. Small town, not a lot of lesbians, one lesbian bar often in even a large city, Seattle, large city, San Francisco, large cities, lots of queers, one lesbian bar in each town. So you say to her if she's pulling shitty shit on you or someone says to you if you're the one being shitty to her – we don't have that luxury. We can't, like straight people, retreat to different bars and different clumps of friends and different ends of town. Uh, we're going to have to learn how to interact and share spaces and be civil and polite to each other. We don't have the luxury of Jersey Shore style, you know, chest thumping baby sh games. So I'm going to buy you a beer and I'm dating your ex and that's going to be awkward. Let's be buds because who knows? Uh, I may not be with your ex for long. We may end up dating. We may end up dating other exes of each other in five or ten years down the road. Uh, we're all in this together, all us lesbians. No sense being shitty about it. So here's a beer and uh, nice to see you and hope we can be uh, friendly if not friends about this whole ex dating situation. What other choice do we have? A gift from ExtremeRestraints.com can unlock a new dimension to your sex life. Whether it's a strap-on that helps him discover his love of being pegged, the wand massager that unleashes her orgasmic potential, or the flogger that ignites her inner dominant, Extreme Restraints has it all with a wide selection and low prices no matter what you're into and how advanced or beginner you want to go. When you pick up a fucking machine, chastity device, rabbit vibe, 16-inch dildo, or forced orgasm tower – I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to go find out. I'm going to get online after I read this copy. Or a forced orgasm tower for your lover. Be sure to enter GGG Giving at checkout for an extra 10% off. Use it by Sunday. Get your Christmas shopping done now. Use it by Sunday and they'll double that discount for 20% off if you enter GGG Giving at checkout. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a 21-year-old, mostly straight uh, female from the big town on the East Coast. I have a question about putting things in your body. Uh, I had a uh, hookup a couple of times with this guy, like, 
totally weird, awesome, like really intense connection thing. And we were just like, you know, kinky and weird and great with each other. Like twice. Um, the first time uh, we had like this whole like intense thing was our underwear. And I kept the, like the underwear was like my, you know, juices on it. It was like a weird memento thing and we like called each other sometimes and then like the next time we hook up we like hey, we brought our like dirty underwear and it was like really hot and cool and uh, I had a lot of fun but um, he took my underwear at one point and like put it all the way in my ass and like put it in my pussy and like that was you, you're not supposed to put like fecal matter in there. I'm fine now but there's a lot of stuff on this underwear now, and I do want to keep it as, like, a fun, sexy, memento thing, and I like smelling it and stuff and, you know, touching things with it, but I'm wondering, is this, like, a really, like, disease-ridden thing? Am I just asking for it by having all this organic matter, like, still sitting on the underwear and, like, putting it in and around my body parts or will, like, eventually things just die down and it's just going to, like, smell bad? Um, this is a really bad thing and I really shouldn't be doing this uh, I'd like to know So you're not seeing this guy anymore? Uh It's more like a weird uh, He has a girlfriend and like I don't <laughs> want to mess I don't it, It's it was a fun night. I'm not going to dwell on it. Just so every, just a note here earlier in the show we talked to some guy who went out on a date with a guy and that guy was in a relationship and he cheated with that guy so uh, we're all the same under the skin, even though, you know, gay, straight, whatever, everybody's uh, has similar issues. Yeah, it's also like a weird work thing. He's now like my good friend's boss, and I'll probably be in like a work scenario with them. It's odd. Yeah, but you can't have your boss stuffing your panties up your ass and your twat. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Blurs those lines He's of authority. my boss, but <laughs> I might like work with them in the future, you know? And a general note for everyone out there, you never go ass to pussy. You can go pussy to ass, but you don't go ass to pussy because you don't want to introduce fecal matter into the vaginal canal because your uterus will explode or something. I know. I know. You know, there was – at the time I was like, I know this is a bad idea and I just – you know, he does a moment stupid thing. Don't, don't do it again. But I'm fine. I didn't get a, a – no, no infections are happening down right. there. It, so. it's, a, it's a risk of infection. It's not a surety of affection. So every once in a while, people take a risk, do something they know is probably ill-advisable or stupid and survive. Live to tell the tale. Doesn't make it safe. Doesn't mean that you should – do it generally all the time just because you lucked out that once, you know? Yeah. But just a general note for other people out there who are looking at their panties and thinking, huh, I wonder if I should stuff these up my ass and then my pussy. Don't. Oh, pussy and then ass. Uh, but your question is whether you should hang on to these panties. Yeah, like I'm one of those, you know, oh, this shirt smells like my boyfriend. Oh, it reminds me of him when I smell it sort of person and like it's a – you know, the dirty they memento. Smell them and it's like, ah, I didn't remember it. I'm like, yeah, it's great. But I, it also, like, if they're growing, like, you know, some form of foreign bacteria that's going to mutate and, like, destroy the population of where I live, like, maybe I should wash them. Yeah, it'll end up being like Audrey 2 in Little Shop of Horrors. Your panties exactly. will. Exactly. 
grow like, and grow and start eating people. Um, if you're not keeping them in an airtight container, they're probably not getting moldy or gross. They're probably drying out and soon they won't smell like anything. So I would encourage you, instead of holding on to these filthy panties, you dirty girl, to wash them and wear them. And then every time you pull them on, you'll think these are the ones, which is sexier than having a filthy ass and pussy juice smeared pair of panties in a drawer at home. Yeah, probably. Won't it be sexier to wear those (laughs) panties to work and look at him and think, I'm wearing those panties today, than to keep them in a drawer? Uh, I keep them in like a little box thingy that's near my bed, you know. It's a, I, I have a loft bed, which makes masturbation really annoying when you have sex toys that have plugs. It's a very weird setup in my room. Well, that's what uh, extension cords are for. Extension cord technology yeah. has come a long way since last Thursday. You might want to invest. Uh, yeah. Wise words, wise words. So wash them. And anyway, the smell is eventually going to go away. You know, if you keep them in an airtight container, eventually they're not going to smell like the sex. They're going to smell like the mold. And if you leave them out in the air so you don't get mold, they're just going to dry up and the little particles and molecules that cause the scent are going to go away anyway. And then you'll just have crusty, scentless panties. So you've probably enjoyed all the smell that is there to enjoy at this point. Now you should wash them and enjoy wearing them. Okay. Phase two of the uh, sexual memento is to wear uh, it. As long as I um, have you on the phone, can I quickly ask you one thing about this guy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so long story short, I did, met him by accident at like a thing. We wound up like spending the whole day together and both sort of realizing by the end of the day, like we're really like awkwardly flirting with each other all day. and We're drunk and, you know, did some like, mutual masturbation stuff at my place and like... He he actually said told me by that point that he had a girlfriend and I was just you know dragging him along and I don't want to you know I love the sex and I'm not going to ruin his relationship and uh, but I I would like to see him again is there any way to go about it or should I just leave it to him because he has the girlfriend he has the okay does he have a girlfriend that he's committed to. I don't know much about his girlfriend. Okay, you should stay the fuck away from it. Just because you don't know what's going on, you don't know what kind of fire you're playing with. You know, maybe you were just the exception and this huge temptation and he may regret it. Or he's a player and there's a thousand of you out there that he's picked well, up in a very similar way. Panties, like when I, we first looked up, it was like we sort of just like jerked off with each other. The panties thing that happened, I wound up being like a really hot booty call one night. All right. Uh, so that was, it, was a, it was multiple offenses. Multiple offenses, but you don't know what's going on with the girlfriend. And I think sometimes earlier in the show I explained that cheating is sometimes a misdemeanor, sometimes a felony. If the relationship is falling apart and you're really not contributing to the collapse of anything, then you hmm. could even therefore – you could regard yourself as an incentive for him to get out of a shitty relationship because the sex with you is so great and you guys click. And that's sometimes the push people need. So cheating isn't always in all instances – awful, wrong, wrong, wrong. But if being with you is something, you know, that he can't resist uh, because he's powerless in the face of your willingness to have panties stuffed up your ass and it imperils something else that's very valuable and someone could be really hurt, this girl, maybe they're engaged or maybe they have kids, you, you know, because the sex is so hot, luring him again or not, you know, he has agency. You're not like some seductress. You're not a black widow. But you, you know, offering to 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 live all that again, you could fuck something beautiful up for somebody else. And uh-huh. that's that's a shitty thing to do. That's a felony. 
So yeah. I would hang way the fuck back. But you could say to him, you know, if you're ever single, we clicked. Because then what that says is I totally want to fuck you again and I would fuck you again, but not under the current circumstances, not while you're involved with someone else. Yeah. Is it, is, I mean, I, to me, I haven't, we haven't really communicated much. It's like, I assume we will talk sometime in the future. Is it rude to ask someone about their girlfriend? Yes. You should leave his girlfriend out of it. Okay. I, cause that's what I thought. Like, don't talk about it. Like, Enjoy what you got. Don't push it too much. Enjoy, enjoy what you got. Don't talk about it. But say, you know, if you're ever single, which acknowledges the girlfriend's existence, instead of saying, what's up with your girlfriend? Mm-hmm. You know, how committed are you to your girlfriend? What you're saying there is, tell me more about your girlfriend so I don't feel so bad about cheating with you on her. And that's shitty. What you should say is, uh, you have a girlfriend and what we did was a little like wrong. If you have a girlfriend, you have a monogamous commitment. But if you're ever single or, you know, things end – let's pick up where we left off because that was awesome and we clicked. Then if he's in a relationship that needs to end, you magically become the incentive that gives him the courage he needs to end it. But you know what? If he's not chasing after you, I really think he might not be interested or he may not want out of the relationship. That he may look at this and think, she's great, she's hot, that was fun if I was single, but I'm not single and now I'm going to straighten up and try to fly right because I love my girlfriend. Right? Yeah. Which is why it's the best idea to say if you're ever single because then it puts it on him to go, well, do I want to be with my girlfriend or not? And if he decides he wants to be with her, you need to back the fuck off and respect. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And there are other guys out there who will stuff your panties up your ass. I'm sure there's some listening to the show right now. Oh, really? Well, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, thanks so much. Um, that was really helpful. Go do your laundry. Uh, I will. I will definitely go do my laundry. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Hello, Dan. I'm a 39-year-old, heteroflexible female that likes to consider herself GGG. I've been married to my husband for 17 years, and we have a great relationship. Um, Recently, he's met someone that um, has gotten him into the interest of role play. And with playing with my husband, I have found that I sort of enjoy the role play, too. Uh, I had once been tied up before, but I didn't enjoy it. And I thought it was because I was an alpha person. And it just turns out I didn't have any connection to that person like I do my husband. So it would seem like everything is going well. His interests are, you know, look like I would like them too. The only problem is, is that I don't like the environment that rope play off often brings. Although I try not to put myself in that environment very often, I, w- I know that for a lot of his role play events, it puts us in an environment that deals a lot with spanking, and not just spanking, but heavy spanking. And when we used to go to our local club that had what they called a twisted night, I literally would cringe and just be so uncomfortable and get upset when the people were being beaten. I'm talking so hard that you can hear the cracks of the whip or the belt or whatever they're using to smack someone over the loud music. And I thought maybe I could get over it recently, but I went and there was this going on again and I just was cringing down. I mean, cringing to the point where I was almost crying. I was so uncomfortable. And I recently went to Sexapalooza where we went into their little dungeon and they had a little bit of smacking going on and I was okay with that. So my first question is, is that can I get used to this and adapt to that sound where I'm not so sensitive to it? And the second thing is, is that when I was in that dungeon, a man came up to me and told me while I 
seen you recently at this other event, and I saw you cringing. And um, I think that being spanked will help you learn that this isn't as bad as you think it is. So my second question, is he telling the truth if I start doing that? Could I learn to understand that spanking can be a nice thing? Um, FYI, I've never liked spanking before, ever. Discount what the guy said to you, the guy who came up to you saw you cringing. That's just somebody who's into spanking trying to get somebody who that he'd like to spank who clearly isn't into spanking to think about being spanked. Very selfish of him in my opinion. Uh, to play on your desire to fit in and your desire to acclimate to manipulate you into doing something that the visual cues you're giving out are pretty strong indication that you wouldn't enjoy and are into. So just set him aside. Uh, you don't like the sounds of people being thrashed or whipped or spanked or beaten with belts at play parties. That's a legit limit for a lot of people uh, who enjoy some SM activities. Those sounds are disturbing and triggering to use that overused word. Um, and you have a right to sort of say I don't want to go to events where there's going to be S&M, where there's going to be hardcore S&M or beatings. Uh, we, there's plenty of places you can do rope play where people aren't howling in pain or being belted or whipped. And so just go to those places. Clearly a little bit of paddling didn't bother you. So if there's a little bit of ass smacking around the edges when people are tied up, that's one thing. But uh, the kind of ah stuff that gets on your nerves gets on a lot of people's nerves. There are some play parties where intense S&M isn't permitted because there are people who don't enjoy it personally and don't enjoy witnessing it or it, they find it so unsettling that they can't relax and enjoy what they do enjoy while that's going on on the other side of the room. So you have limits. You have preferences. Own them. They may change. They may evolve and grow in time but don't rush them and don't let some spanking fetishist convince you that being spanked is some sort of therapy for spanking averse folks. It ain't. Yeah, hi, Dan. I was listening to podcast uh, 318 and I'd actually like to add a little something you know, to your uh, response uh, to, the, to the caller whose uh, godmother told her grandmother that, that she was gay. And actually, this is something that a lot of people, I think, should, you know, should need to listen to is if you post something to Facebook, even if you haven't said only certain people can see it or whatever, assume anything on Facebook is public knowledge. You know, the, the, the modern social media, you know, zeitgeist is that everything is to be shared with everybody. And, you know, privacy does not matter like it would have, you know, five you know, or ten years ago. You know, even if you have a sense of private, don't post anything on Facebook that you couldn't handle, you know, being broadcast on CNN. Dan, Podcast 318, stop enabling fat people. Naturally fat? What the hell, man? I have spent like four years trying to lose weight. I've lost over 125 pounds. I had to lose the same 43 times. Every aspect of my life is easier now, better healthier. Why didn't I do it earlier? I, I didn't know I was fat. Actually, you know, like I didn't learn anything the first two tries. I really was about to give up. You know, I totally believe the big bone. Everyone in my family is fat. Some people are naturally fat. Look, men often think bigger is better and they don't realize how big they're getting. So for their sake, don't let them off the hook. Talk about exercise and the gym like you used to long before in previous podcasts before people screamed at you. 
the obesity epidemic is real. We're all paying for it. Nothing about 350 pounds is natural. Now I've said it, so you are blameless. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is a response to, I believe, uh, podcast 318, where you had the uh, Vora file on. I just want to say that uh, when I was 22, I was in a relationship with a man that, you know, since he hit puberty, his main fantasy was more Felix, was the idea of being swallowed whole by, you know, a furry creature or a female or something. And when he confessed it to me, he thought of it as an unrealizable fetish. But when he told me about it, I got on the internet. I'd never heard of it before, but I got on the internet and I looked up things about it and I looked up, you know, the terminology for it, the desires behind it, sort of giving up control and the bondage. And I ended up, you know, getting him a little bit drunk and wrapping him and I really tightly in a blanket, having him, you know, insert his penis in me. And I sort of licked the top of his head and his face and talked about how I was swallowing him and I put my arms and legs around him while he was fucking me and like squeezed him really, really hard sort of like an esophagus would and then I talked about him being in my stomach, you know, and then he got off the hardest he'd ever gotten off in his life. You know, even four is realizable on a fantasy level, just like BDSM or like furries of fursuits. So it's not the literal, but it's in the spirit and the fantasy. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, please give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. If you want to make sure that your comment is out there for all the world to see, every show has its own comment thread at thestranger.com slash lovecast. I want to thank EJ Graff for jumping on the phone with us today. Follow her on Twitter at EJ Graff and read her stuff at the American Prospect. It is terrific. The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.